the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord? Well, blessed people, the Lord Jehovah has spoken with me. Jehovah, the mighty God of Israel, has spoken with me. And this is the conversation I would like to share with you uh, tonight to have this tremendous conversation of the Lord with you. For what the Lord Yahweh has spoken, the Lord Jehovah, at this hour, especially this very important time in the history of the church, the Lord Yahweh has spoken with me, blessed people. Well, uh, in that conversation, the conversation that took place about two days ago, um, the Lord Yahweh, he showed me his two mightiest, mightiest, most dreadful and glorified prophets of eternity. Uh, he presented them to me as they were ministering in the future. Then they were ministering in the wilderness of Israel. They were ministering in the wilderness. They were walking. I could see them walking in the wilderness, but in Israel. And so really at this hour, even as we speak, the Lord has shifted gears and the Lord has escalated prophecy. He has escalated the conversation towards the glorious coming of the Messiah. Again, the day before yesterday, the Lord showed me uh, his two mightiest, most glorified and glorious prophets. And I saw them ministering in the wilderness of Israel. So they were in Israel and they were walking in the wilderness. So I could see the trees, the shrubs. I could see it was dry. Only certain vegetation could survive in that desert. And they were walking walking between the, the, the shrubs and the vegetation that had grown in that wilderness. And they were ministering from the wilderness of Israel. Now this is amazing. This comes at such a time when there was this conversation that took place that you heard as we announced here when Israel pronounced itself on this matter of the prophets of the Lord. Now, um, in that conversation, ministering in the wilderness of Israel, we see very clearly that that is an event in the future. The Lord has shown an event that is going to happen in the future. And at that time, it's absolutely very clear that the church will have been taken away. So this really has a great appointing and greater impact and messaging that is going on out from heaven regarding the glorious coming of the Messiah. It's all pointing at the glorious coming of Christ Jesus, the Messiah. And that's why there is no generation like this generation <clears throat> that uh, has had the trumpeting and the pronouncing and the announcement of heaven regarding the glorious coming of the Messiah ringing out to their ears at such a higher frequency than ever before, that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so the Lord, in the process, is raising the importance of preparing for the glorious coming of the Messiah. 
And in so doing, he is exalting righteousness. He's asking this generation to go back to receiving Jesus and walking in righteousness. That all men may now receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior and be holy and turn away from sin and stay away from the sexual immorality that you see has really been clouded and deluded this generation and their preoccupation with it. So all this is being trumpeted in this same message when he showed me the two mightiest and most glorious prophets of Israel ministering in the wilderness of Israel. He made me see the two mightiest prophets of Jehovah, the prophets of the Lord, the prophets of the rain, the prophets of eternity, the prophets of the cloud of God. And I saw them ministering in the wilderness of Israel. And I could see the shrubs there, the kind of vegetation for that dry place. It's a desert situation. And they are ministering. They are walking in there in Israel. And they've gone there to defend the nation of Israel. They've gone there to bring to bear, to bring to reality the agenda of God, the prophetic timeline of God regarding the national revival of Israel and the redemption of God's covenant people, the blessed people of Israel. Now, having said so, I want to share a little bit on the conversation that has been ongoing here uh, with the worship teams. The Lord has privileged us to invite the worship teams here are the head offices in Nairobi, and to be able to engage them in a conversation that the Spirit of the Lord has deemed fit for this hour, even as there is a great visitation, this enormous visitation of God the Father, of the Lord Yahweh in the house of God, the house of the Lord, that in this prime time, when this visitation is being observed by heaven, upon the earth at this hour, then you see the Spirit of the Lord now is able to navigate the agenda of the two servants of the Lord that they may be able now to minister to a sector, to a sector of the house of the Lord, and specifically to minister to the worship teams, to those that stand before the Lord, those that appear before the Lord at the altar, and lead worship. So you may call them the worship leaders that lead worship before the Lord, before the Lord of heaven, before God Almighty, Jehovah Yahweh. And so this conversation has been ongoing for two weeks. And this week, uh, the conversation that ended yesterday in uh, training worship leaders, those that lead worship, on what it means to stand before the Lord and lead worship that as we talk about this period of reformation, this time of transformation, this time of returning, this time of restoring and revival, that this sector too, this department of worship in the house of the Lord, may also get her own share of instruction and counsel on reformation and revival. That all may be in tandem in one step with the Spirit of the Lord and be restored for the glorious coming of the Messiah. So this conversation has taken place in the past week and yesterday we had another meeting here and I want to share a little bit of that conversation because the audience and uh, 
the constituency now via the radio is a little bit larger. So each one be given the opportunity to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying at this hour. Now, in my conversationing with the worship leaders yesterday, I brought it to them very clearly, that I do today and tonight and to you, is that uh, appearing before the Lord Jehovah as a worship leader is a very serious calling, a very significant calling that the Lord lays upon the lives of a certain few elect, a certain few people that he chooses, he elects, and then lays upon them this noble and noble calling that they may be able to come, to stand before him at the altar of the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, the Holy God of Israel, and then at that place, be able to dispense ministration, standing before the Lord, as you all know, in the Hebrew context, is essentially ministering unto the Lord. And so, the act of leading worship, as is known, is essentially a very high calling that the Lord places on a select person on select persons, and when he does that, then he also enables them. He enables them to be able to stand before him. But it's a significant event. It's a high calling. It's an election. Because then he chooses just a few that will stand before him and lead worship. And there are certain instruments, certain requirements that the Lord really, really levies, he places on those that stand before him to worship him. And that is what I want to walk through today, now that we have a huge constituency through the radio, that everybody may be on the same page, those that endeavor to stand before God and lead worship, to worship him, to worship Jehovah. Now the Bible speaks very clearly about appearing before the Lord. And I would like to read, in order to begin this conversation with you, to read from the book of Zechariah chapter 3, on what it really means standing before the Lord. Standing before the Lord as a worship leader, leading worship. And this standing before the Lord as a worship leader, leading worship, also encompasses, it's such a broad spectrum that when you look very clearly into the conversation, into the wordings, um, again, uh, precious people, I was talking about the fact that standing before the Lord is a very serious act, and I was just in the process of beginning a mighty, mighty conversation that we have been having here with the worship leaders in this place, at which I have been talking to them, especially the conversation yesterday, worship leaders from Kericho, uh, Bureti, uh, the greater Nairobi area, one from Sikato, and uh, Naivasha, Gilgil. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord has led me to talk to them about 
appearing, standing before the Lord to minister to the Lord. And I said before we went off owing to the line that was not clear, the phone line, I had said that standing before the Lord is a calling, is a serious calling, and it's an election. It's a situation in which the Lord picks somebody, exalts them, and allows them to stand before him, to minister unto him. And I said, standing before the Lord pulls a great spectrum of servants from the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, and all people that stand before the Lord to minister unto the Lord, the Holy God of Israel. And I said, in that wide spectrum, I had singled out, in these past two weeks, in the conversation here, I had singled out the worship leaders. The worship leaders. What does it mean to stand before the Lord? And what are the preparations that they need to put in place that when they stand before the Lord, they may also be in right standing with the Lord? So this is the conversation that has been happening here at the head offices here in Nairobi for the past two weeks culminating into the one we had yesterday. And I know very well that the Lord is probably going to lead me to have another conversation with worship leaders this coming week to probably one day or two days again as the Lord leads. But to advance this very important aspect of the practice in the house of the Lord, standing before the Lord, leading worship, being a worship leader. So in the process, before the phone lines became unclear, I was turning to the book of Zechariah chapter 3 in order to underscore the gravity of being a worship leader, standing before the Lord to worship Him, to lead worship in the church. And in Zechariah 3, I read here, he says, Then the guiding angel showed me, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 of He says, Then the guiding angel showed me Joshua the high priest, representing disobedient, the sinful Israel, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at Joshua's right hand to be his adversary and to accuse him. I'm reading from Amplified, remember? And then he says, and the Lord said to Joshua, uh, sorry, and the Lord says, verse 2, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, even the Lord who now and ever has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a log snatched and rescued from the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy, unseatingly vile garments, raiments, and was standing before the angel of the Lord. Verse 4 of Zechariah chapter 3 says, 
he spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to those who stood before him, saying, Again, remove the filthy garments from him. That is very significant. And he said to Joshua, See, I have caused your wickedness to be taken away from you. And I'll clothe and beautify you with rich robes of forgiveness. Remember I'm reading Amplified. Verse 5 he says, And then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And so they put, a, they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with rich garments and raiments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And then the angel of the Lord solemnly and earnestly admonished Joshua saying, verse 7, Zechariah 3, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, that is, remain faithful and perform my service, then you will also govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you free access to my presence among these who stand here. So, I would like to use this premise, I would like to use this foundational scripture to really speak to the worship leaders and all those, you'll find even as a pastor, that there are things here that will touch you, that will become very pertinent in your practice before the Lord. But I would like to take this wonderful opportunity of this scripture to talk to pastors and pastors of worship, worship leaders, those that stand before the Lord and minister and lead worship. Lead the church, lead the saints, lead the congregation before the Lord to worship the Lord. So what really does it mean to be a worship leader in the church at this hour? At this very critical hour in the history of the church, when the visitation of the Lord God is in the house of the Lord. And when the two messengers, the two prophets of the book of Revelation, chapter 11, are walking the earth, they are ministering inside the house of the Lord. What does it mean to be a leader of worship, to lead worship in the house of the Lord at this hour? That is the question we are confronted with tonight, blessed people. At this hour... When the tremendous hosts of the Lord, the cloud of God, has settled in the house of the Lord. What does it mean to be a worship leader, to lead worship in the house of the Lord? And this scriptural premise, the foundational scripture, the reference scripture of Zechariah chapter 3 that I'm using, you really see very well how the Lord comes out. And I'm going to blend it with the scripture in Isaiah. But the Lord comes out very clearly on some of the key benchmarks, the key standards, the key requirements, the requisites that he lays down 
on appearing before him to worship the Lord and lead worship before him. And so, this becomes so key because in this conversation you see Joshua appearing before the Lord, standing before the Lord. And then many powerful lessons emanate from there that really go along with speak to the core, the core of the Christian worship leader today. The ones that lead worship in the house. Because you see that when Joshua stands before the Lord, when he appears before the Lord, then the sinfulness of sin is the first thing that shoots out. The reality of sin then comes to bear. The gravity of sin in impeding access to God is the first thing the Lord raises when Joshua appears before the Lord. And in order to call to you another very important aspect that shows up when one stands, appears before the Lord, and says, I am a worship leader. I would like to lead worship. And when they go into that practice of standing before the Lord to lead worship, I would like to underscore a second aspect, a second feature, a second important benchmark, standard thing that happens when one appears before the Lord to lead worship. I've said, you see all of a sudden, that Joshua is aware, becomes aware of the filthy garment he beholds, of the defilement that has now befallen the sacred garment of appearing before God. In order to bring out the second thing, other than the sinfulness of sin that really comes out, when one appears before the Lord as a worship leader, to lead worship, then I'm now reading from Isaiah chapter 6 to bring out another aspect of what becomes very glaring as one stands before the Lord. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 on, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw in a vision the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. High and exalted, with the train of his royal robe filling the most holy part of the temple. Above him, seraphim, the heavenly angels, heavenly beings, a class of angels of the Lord, called the seraphim, they are the cherubim and the seraphim, those are simply the ranks of angels, the ranks of angels, the ministering angels of the Lord. The heavenly beings stood. Each one had six wings. With two wings, he covered his face. And with two wings, he covered his feet. And with two wings, he flew. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. And one called out to another saying, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Verse 4 then he says, And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out. 
and the temple was filled with smoke. That was the cloud of God, the smoke of God. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of ceremonially unclean lips. Remember, this is amplified. And I live among the people of unclean lips. A people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the lord of hosts. Then he says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues, very hot, with tongues. Verse 7, he says, He touched my tongue with it and said, Listen carefully. This has touched your lips. Your wickedness, your sin, your injustice, your wrongdoing is taken away and your sin atoned for and forgiven. So Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, really, really goes a long way to compliment, to blend with the book of Zechariah, chapter 3 that I have just read also, verses 1 down. And you see, even as Joshua in Zechariah, Joshua appears before the Lord to worship the Lord, to lead, lead, to lead worship, to be a worship leader. And you see that Joshua there represents the priestly worship, the worship of the priest, the, the worship leader. He represents the nation of Israel standing before the Lord to lead all the nations before the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord, the worship leader. And that's why you see there is the mention of the turban. And the turban was the symbol of priesthood, the worship leader. And then when Joshua stands before the Lord of hosts, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, the mighty God of Israel, to worship the Lord, then the first thing that comes out is the garment, the filthy garment. The sinfulness of sin before the Lord. In other words, the sinfulness of mankind, man. And I say it, I would like to read Isaiah 6, 1 to 7, in order to complement that, to raise up another thing, another factor that really, really exalts, raises itself when you stand before the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Yahweh is his name. As a worship leader, even a pastor in this case. And you see that when Isaiah here, Isaiah the prophet, the prophet of Yahweh, the prophet of Israel, stands before the Lord of hosts. Then the holiness of God, that is the second thing I wanted to raise here. The holiness of God becomes apparent, the dreadful holiness of God consumes Isaiah, he collapses. He cannot function. When Isaiah be, stands before the Lord, to worship the Lord, then the holiness of the Lord, the awesome holiness of God, 
the dreadful holiness of God all of a sudden beholds and he cannot function. He collapses and says, Go unto me. So when a worship leader stands before the Lord and says they want to lead the congregation into worship, this is what emanates from the throne of God. This is what happens to them. Now the first obviousness, the first obvious attribute that comes through as you stand as a worship leader, leading the congregation and the church into worship, worshiping the Lord, the first thing that hits the sin is the sinfulness of sin and how God is totally and absolutely intolerant to sin. How the Lord Jehovah has zero tolerance to sin for those that appear before him, worship him. And then, now from Isaiah, the next thing that comes out, other than the sinfulness of sin that beholds, that dawns on he that now appears, then now the awesome, the unbearable holiness, the, uh, the, the, the unbearable holiness of Jehovah Yahweh, Isaiah collapses. But when you look at the two scriptures I've read for you as our foundation tonight, then you see very clearly, blessed people, that in Zechariah chapter 3, he brings you all the way, even to the place of remission, where there is repentance, and then the forgiveness of sin. It's like an entire gospel, a complete gospel. The complete gospel is spoken right there in Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 as you go down to verse 6. Because you reach a place where now Josue, Joshua, the sins are forgiven, the filthy garment is taken away, and he receives forgiveness. Restoration does take place. Purification takes place. But when you read Isaiah 6, one down, the holiness of God, the unbearable, the, the unfathomable, unfathomable the, the awesome holiness of God strikes whoever stands before the Lord. Isaiah in this case. And then the sinfulness of sin, how sinful man is, now is all tender. It's finally opened up. And then as you go down, then you see now the ministering angel. The angel comes and takes the, 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 the coal, the burning coal, with the tongue and places the tongue of Isaiah. That is now the process of purification. But it's awesome that when one stands before the Lord, the standard the Lord raises, as a worship leader, the standard he raises for you, the requisite, is holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy is the Lord Almighty. That means, as a worship leader, even as you prepare to appear before the Lord tomorrow, this coming day, to worship the Lord on Sunday, then the Lord has spoken very clearly here. He has said, holiness, holiness, holiness is all that matters unto the Lord. 
before you appear before him to worship the Lord. And in this conversation, it's absolutely apparent that what Isaiah was doing, the standing before the throne of God, is not any different from what you are doing as a worship leader, standing before the congregation and before the Lord, leading them, worshipping the Lord. Many occasions, when the Lord has taken me before his throne room, into his throne room, now you're beginning to understand the finer details I have not shared of the gravity that is laid, the dreadfulness of the holiness of God that happens at the throne of God. Now this begins to give the whole story of the many missions, many times the Lord has taken me into his throne room to be able to commission me, to give command and instruction regarding the current ongoing agenda of heaven on the earth. But now, let us go into greater detail for you, the worship leaders that are planning to appear before the Lord tomorrow. Why is it that Josue, Joshua's clothes are filthy? What is the Lord transmitting from there? What is he broadcasting abroad in that way? By saying Joshua was dressed in filthy garment. We are all too much aware. We are all well aware. That as you become born again and receive Christ. And receive the calling. When you receive Christ you receive the garment of righteousness. The garment of holiness. The garment of worship. The garment of salvation. That Jesus delivered at the Calvary cross. That is absolutely clear to all people. But the Lord is highlighting here that there is a standard. And that's the garment you see, Aaron, in the book of Exodus 28. Aaron also has to wear that garment before he ministers before the Lord in the priestly office. In Exodus 28, that we are not reading tonight. But saying, they are appearing before Jehovah. And the Lord is saying that as one is called into the salvation of Christ, and then the Lord exalts you by election to be able to stand before him and lead the congregation into worshipping Jehovah. Then he says, we need to be very careful, worship leaders. Those that lead worship across the different altars and churches need now to be very careful because there can be impediment to worshiping the Lord. And that blockade, he says, can only happen by sin. And the enemy is, in his own way, shrewd enough to be able to understand those things that when he do unto you, he does unto you, and do unto you, then he would impede the favor of your appearing in the presence of the king. You'll be able to thwart, to frustrate, frustrate your effort to operate in your office as a worship leader using certain things that are defined in Zechariah. They are defined as the field on the garment, or the priestly garment, on the garment of worship. 
And this really appertains also to the worshiper, not just the worship leaders, but the congregations. Though this past week, this conversation has centered around the worship leaders that, that were gathered here at the head offices here. And he says, the fields, the things that can really impede before you seek forgiveness, and today we're going to look at many aspects of your comportment, your, your conduct as a worship leader, and how you can bring reformation and revival to your appearing there and executing leadership, leading worship. Before we arrive to where Isaiah takes the tongues, the, the angel takes the tongues and picks burning coal, blessing the mouth. In other words, representing the purification of the Lord that is required to he or she, to anybody that stands before the Lord to worship Jehovah. Purification. And that holding of their tongues to take the hot coal from the hot coal from the altar and place in the tongue is the synonym of Zechariah when the voice from the angel now said, Take off his filthy garment. And that is the summation of the beauty and the agenda and the mandate of the Messiah when he went to the cross and he removed the filth. But how about then? This reformation or the second deliverance that's going on by the Holy Spirit when apostasy now attempts to frustrate the wearers of the robe of worship, the garment of the Lord. This is what we are addressing now. That you are born again, received Christ, elected by the Lord to stand before the Lord of hosts worship, lead the congregation in worship, and then all of a sudden now the field of the garment is brought to bear. And I say it, owing to the zero tolerance of the Lord towards sin, and owing to the awesome and dreadful holiness of God that causes sinful men to collapse. Woe unto me, a man of unclean lips, Isaiah says. So the Lord is essentially broadcasting abroad to you, the worship leaders, that iniquity, iniquity can frustrate your appearing before the Lord, your administration, your leading as a worship leader, iniquity, wickedness, evil, blasphemy, irreverence. Desecration, wrongdoing, spiritual misdeeds, spiritual error, profanity, corruption, spiritual lapse, complacency. Immoral conduct, degeneracy, perversion, dishonor, spiritual promiscuity, 
contemptible conduct, depraved behavior, all these things, and the list goes on and on. He says, it's an apostasy that the devil is always intending to use to frustrate and thwart your effort to stand before the Lord as a worship leader, even a pastor. That's why I say the spectrum is huge. But let us then understand this. Before we talk about the repentance that needs to always happen, because I will come to you when I'll talk about how then you prepare as a worship leader to appear before the Lord. How? How do you prepare? Before I go into that. Are you really aware as worship leaders? Are you aware of what it means, the gravity of appearing before the Lord? And the mission, the objective, and why God elects you to stand there and minister and lead congregation to worshiping Him. Are you aware of the central theme, the objective? And he says, the importance of worship to the church, are you aware? Are you aware of the centrality, the importance of worship to the church? And I would like to submit here that without worship, there is no church. There is no church. That is just how important a worship leader is within the architecture, the architectural arrangement of practice in the church. That without the worship leader, there is no church. In other words, without worship, there is no church. And I said, the objective of a worshiper, a worship leader, is God. Is God, number one, God. Is God himself. That in so doing, they may lead the congregation, the church, into worshipping the Lord and praising God. So the objective is really Jehovah himself. And owing to that objective, there are so many things and issues I want to raise in the later part of this conversation with the present day worshiper because then you realize the objective has changed. There is a change in the objective. It's no longer God again. Why? How? What a generation. What an obstinate generation. What a depraved moment. That even the objective now, if you look at the worship conduct of the present day church, then you see that most likely here, the objective itself has also changed. Otherwise, if the objective was God, to worship the Lord, to worship Yahweh, and to praise Him just for who He is, then some of the things you see happening among worship leaders cannot be happening, blessed people. And that's why today, 
I'm going to really score. I'm going to bring unto you and submit to you the importance of preparing thyself, preparing oneself before you even step forward and say, I want to lead worship in the church, the house of the Lord. And you are soon going to see that it's really the preparation. It's really the preparing of yourself, both physical, personally, and spiritually, before you appear before the Lord, that really, really matters when the real act, the real moment to stand before the Lord and minister, worship, and lead the congregation, the church, in worshiping God, arrives. It is the preparation that matters most. It is the preparation that determines your success or not. It's just like preparing for the coming of the Messiah, the rapture of the church. It is the preparation that really matters. The final day really doesn't matter that much. If you are prepared well, then you will be successful the day of rapture. And that's why you see heaven has unleashed the two messengers, these tremendous hosts of heaven that I have seen ministering in the wilderness of Israel that are ministering in six, in three, in two, before a generation, broad daylight open like this, captured on camera. It is the gravity, the significance, the paramountness, how paramount, how fundamental it is to prepare well before the day, the D-Day. That's why the Lord has sent these two prophets. And so it is with the worship leader here. That really, really, it is the preparation you put in place before you stand before, at the altar, before the Lord of hosts. That process, that phase of preparation is what matters most. Is what determines how successful you're going to be, you are going to be, when that moment arrives for you to stand before the Lord and minister worship. And lead worship. But let's begin first things first. Why does the Lord call you in this dispensation as a worship leader to lead worship in the church? Why does the Lord call a worship leader to lead worship and praise before the Lord? Why? At this hour, in this dispensation, the reason the Lord is calling you now is because wherever you turn to, whether you turn to your news, whether you turn to friends, you walk around, whichever the place you turn to, today you will see the entire world, the whole earth, is full of groaning and crying. It's as though an entire generation is crying out for solutions for answers to serious problems that have afflicted a generation. The entire whole world is crying out right now. They are looking for solutions, for answers, for remedy, for the antidote, for remedy 
to the many problems that have plagued a generation. Disease. Injustice. Depression. Wars. Desperation. Famines. Racism. Many things are happening today. Suicides. You simply need to turn on your news and see, or walk by a road, and see that this generation is afflicted by many problems. And like I said, injustice, racism, corruption, depravity, desperation, famine, wars, bloodshed, what? Everything. Turn on news, you see it right there. Right on your face. It is as though a generation is crying out for a savior. That is why the Lord raises you and elects you, make, gives you the election. The election to be a worship leader, to lead worship. Even those that read the Bible, they are at your disposal. Even those that read the Bible, they depend on you, the worship leader. That's why God calls you. He calls you because we are in such a time, at such a time, when right now they are seeking remedies, solutions, answer. If you just turn to the book of Matthew 24, you turn with me to Matthew 24, you read from verse 1, I'll read a few sections, then explain to you this. Even those that are in church are seeking for solution. There is a reason God calls you to lead them into worship, blessed people. He says from verse 1, Matthew 24, he says, Jesus left the temple and was going on his way when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the magnificent and massive buildings of the temple. Verse 2, Matthew 24. He said to them, Do you see all these things? I assure you, and most solemnly say unto you, no one stone here will be left on another which will not be torn down. Look at that now. That the sense, a place of dysfunction is coming. Of utter destruction is coming. Disorder. While Jesus was seated on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, privately said to him, tell us, when will this destruction of the temple take place and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end and completion and consummation of the age? Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, be careful that no one misleads you. Now, these are the things that have plagued this generation. They come out of a prophecy about the dispensation and the time. Verse 4. Jesus answered, Be careful that no one misleads you. Look at that. Many will be misled. That's what, that's what he implies, therefore. That's why he calls the worship leader to lead people to God. Because the dispensation is such that there will be a lot of deception, misleading. He says, 
be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving you, and leading you into error. Look at that now. For many will come in my name, misusing it, and appropriating the strength of the name which belongs to me, saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed, and they will mislead many. Just this scenario here, if you look at this motif, this template I've just read in verse 4 and 5, just this alone on how many will be misled, and then you look at the times when the church is right now, where the church is positioned right now, then you understand the need for God to elect, to call forth a worship leader to lead the congregation into worshiping God, where the object is God, God himself. Because he talked about great misleading, great deception and lying that would take place, that would mislead many, and the dispensation is such that this prophecy is bearing, is coming to bear, is now has come to bear. Verse 6, you will continually hear of wars and rumors of wars and see, and then he says, see to it that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not, that is not yet the end of the age. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places, calamities. Tragedies. Look at California now. Look at the Andes Mountains recently. When I left Peru and get that prophecy, inside the parliament, the National Assembly, the National Congress of Peru, Lima, Peru, and was fulfilled. Look at the earthquake. I, when I shook Mount Everest with my tongue, says the Lord, the prophecy I gave that shook the highest mountain and the biggest mountain both sides. Anders and Himalayas, Mount Everest. And say, it says, famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are merely the beginning of that pains, that tongue, that it says, of the intolerable anguish and the time of unprecedented trouble. But when you jump to verse 25, look at what he says in 25. He says, listen carefully, I have told you in advance. Look at that now. He spoke in advance. He gave the prophecy of the science to look out for. But when the hour comes, then you see this great angustia, anguish, anxiety, distress, a generation operating as though they are looking for a savior. And that is the reason the Lord raises the worship leader, that you may lead an entire church. You may lead a generation to worshiping the Lord. Because that is where their solution is. In other words, within the backdrop and the background of all this anxiety and troubles and wars, and complacency, wickedness, apostasy, evil, moral decay, iniquity, irreverence, blasphemy, desecration, profanity, 
corruption, wrongdoing, misdeed, spiritual error, degeneracy, perversion, promiscuity, dishonor, depraved conduct, contemptible behavior within the background of all these earthquakes and the tsunamis and the troubles and the problems of this generation. He's saying the worship leader is to become a light and the fragrance of Christ right in front of the generation. Right before them. Stand in front and become the fragrance of the light of Christ. But when they see that fragrance, the aroma, they may turn to it and now find solution. Worship the Lord. He says, that is the objective of the worship leader. And the Lord is saying, worship leader, you that lead worship, to be aware, to be careful, that because of the sin, and the sinfulness of sin, that has entered mankind right from the garden, just be careful, make sure you are aware, be brought to this notice, that the human person will normally hate and dislike holiness. So even as you are called by the Lord to be a worship leader, these are things you have to be aware of. That if you are called into the office, elected to be a worship leader, the sinfulness of sin that entered men right from the garden will normally cause them to dislike holiness, to hate holiness, righteousness. To be aware of that. And the Lord is speaking very powerfully to the worship leaders at this hour. In other words, he's saying that within this whole mix of the mix of the generation and the fulfillment of prophecy and anxiety and also the decay, the wickedness in the church and the apostasy and the sinfulness and all this deception that's going on, the worship leader must transmit God the attributes of God, the mass of God to a generation, for example. How merciful God is. So when you're worshipping, even the songs you choose, you must be able to transmit this. That is the object of worship. Transmit God. You must announce to a generation that is looking for solutions, that look, it's about God. You need to find God. It's about time you found God. That your answer is in worshipping God, Jehovah Yahweh. You must transmit the faithfulness of God. You must transmit to them that God is proximate, He's close to you. He has already sacrificed Himself. He has sacrificed the Messiah. He has come down as man, incarnated in the person of the Messiah taken on the human form, and he has sacrificed himself, so the answer is available. So in whatever songs you choose to worship the Lord and lead the congregation, that must be transmitted unimpeded. That is the solution and the answer to a generation depraved. I'm talking to you, the elect, the worship leader, that there are certain irreducible minimums 
that you must transmit if you are called into the office of a worship leader. That you must transmit the mercy of God and tell them, look, God still has mercy. He is merciful. And in that context of mercy, he has already brought himself down here and become incarnated in the person of the Christ and self-sacrificed on the Calvary cross. He has offered the sacrifice. So now, therefore, he is close to you. God has now come close to man. The worship leader must be aware of this. And transmit this. The mercy of God. The closeness with which God has sacrificed himself. And come in the human form. And availed himself in the person of the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth. The Christ. And now he's available. You must be able to transmit the wisdom of God when you are a worship leader. In other words, the fear of God. You must be able to transmit the glory of God and tell them, look, the glory has now descended. The cloud has come. The two mega prophets of heaven are walking here in the cloud of Yahweh, the glory has now descended and settled on them in the broad daylight. So as a worship leader, you must be able to transmit the time and the glory of God all the time. At all times. You must be able to transmit the patience of God. The holiness of God. The righteousness of God. The graciousness of God, compassion of God, the zeal of God, the unfailing love of God. The awesomeness of God. The truth about God, the truth of God that is in his word. Why? Plus more and more, the list goes on. Everything you find in the Bible, all these powerful benefits that God is extending to man, his mercy, his forgiveness, his wisdom, his compassion, his graciousness, his holiness, his patience, his love, seal, proximity to us, his glory, his awesomeness, his truth, all these are essentially the heart of God. They essentially transmit, they define. They define the heart of God for his creation, for a generation. For his creation. So when you get to know all this as a worship leader, and you ensure that in your worship you are transmitting or broadcasting this, then you will find that you will be essentially communicating, you'll be ministering, you'll be transmitting the heart of God to the generation. You'll be telling them, look, this is how the heart of God looks like. So you can find help. And you'll be helping the generation to which he has called you to minister. Worship leader. To be a worship leader. At this hour in the history of the church. To be a worship leader at this moment in the church. Be a worship leader. In other words, 
What does it mean to be a worship leader at this time in the church? That is all we are addressing today. Why? Why would God call you to be a worship leader at this critical hour to stand there at the altar and lead worship and lead the entire church, the congregation in worshiping the Lord? In other words, that's what we are looking at. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16, 17 you can read on and on. It says, Long life is in her right hand. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, blessed be. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. We begin with Proverbs chapter 2. There's quite a lot of scripture you can use to emphasize this. This blessedness of God that is transmitting everywhere to all men ever since Christ came and thereby becoming the objective of the worship leader. Proverbs chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 3, you can read any, we can only read one. For example, Proverbs chapter 2, 1 to 2, 1 to 5, whichever length you go. It says, my son, if you if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, so that your ears are attentive to skillful and godly counsel and wisdom. And I apply your heart to understanding, seeking, seeking it consciously, and striving, this is amplified, and striving for it eagerly. Yes, if you cry out for insight, and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek skillful and godly wisdom as you would silver. And search for her as you would hidden treasures. Then you will understand the reverent fear of the Lord. That is worshipping him. And regarding him as truly awesome. And discovering the knowledge of God. And you can read on and on. There are so many scriptures as I said. You can read Proverbs 3. You can read 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. They speak about one thing. This awesomeness of God that the worship leader can walk into, can transmit as a minister in their election. And he's saying very clearly here. That the worship leader has to really live the words he or she is worshipping. You have to live those words. Because worship is so central. And your role is essentially to encourage, to exhort the congregation to join you in worshipping Yahweh. So how can you lead them in worshipping Yahweh? How can they join you if your conduct and lifestyle does not portray worshipping Yahweh? So your role is to encourage the entire church to join you in worshipping the Lord. 
And therefore, you really have to live, to live the words you are using in worship, the words you are using to worship Him, to adore Him, to praise Him. And the Lord says, the worship leader therefore must appear before the Lord and before the church to speak the life of Christ to the church, to the congregation, to speak the redemption of the Lord through Christ, the person of the Christ Jesus, to this generation, to humanity. You must speak those things. So if that means being born again, then you must really be properly born again. The worship leader must really speak the redemption of Christ. And you must be firm. Your understanding of scripture must be sound and extensive. Because only in Scripture then has God has God revealed Himself, has God now revealed His heart for this generation in which you have been called the worship leader. How does the worship leader how does, how how do they prepare? How do they stand before the Lord? You must prepare spiritually blessed people. Personal preparation, normally they hint, they become a trajectory, they, they become a pointer to your spiritual preparation then. All due process, due diligence must be observed. That is really the act of your reverence towards the Lord. You say, wow, I'm going to appear before the Lord tomorrow. I need to prepare. And the way you prepare, the Lord watches that. That is the transmission of your reverence to Him. If you take more time to prepare, to, to prepare to appear, then that's the greater the reverence you are building towards the Lord. That is then transmitted to the Lord as greater reverence. Just like when you prepare for the rapture of the church, the coming of the Messiah, the more effort, the more time you use to prepare, the more the Lord facilitates you because this is a greater reverence. You fear the Lord so much that when He has announced the Messiah is coming, you decide to devote your effort and time to prepare. That is now the transmission of your reverence unto the Lord. Look at the garment the worship leader has. The garment that the Lord transmits, the Lord gives the worship leader. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 61 verse 10. And it says the following. Isaiah 61 10, it says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. He has covered me with the robe 
of righteousness, as a bridegroom puts on a turban, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Look at the garment the Lord has prepared for the worship leader. The garment of salvation, the garment of righteousness, standing up there, ministering in the election of a worship leader that everybody will see. The garment of salvation, the garment of righteousness, garment of holiness. You cannot transmit anything else. But you'll always transmit that which you are. And that's why the lifestyle of the worship leader is key. You must be living the words you worship. If you say, he is holy, he is holy, then you must live it too. So you can lead the congregation, the entire church, into the holiness of the Lord. Isaiah 64, verses 6 to 8, he says the following. For we all have become like one who is ceremonially unclean, like a leper. In other words, leprosy. And all our deeds of righteousness are like filthy rags. We all wither and decay like a leaf. And our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, like the wind, takes us away carrying us far from God's favor toward destruction. That's why the worship leader must be right standing with the Lord. Because there are impediments. The enemy is ready to position, to frustrate your calling as a worship leader. And yet now you live in a dispensation where wisdom has been unleashed. And he says, verse 7, There is no one who calls on your name, who awakens and causes himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have handed us over to the consuming and destructive power of our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. This is very important, blessed people. As I'm talking about the life, the conduct of a worship leader, slowly you begin to understand that I bring into the attention of the worship leader the backdrop, the background within which they have been called. These are uncommon times. These are times when apostasy is rife. Things have fallen apart in the house of the Lord. So therefore, the worship leader must always prepare well beforehand, before they appear before the Lord. You must be in prayer days before service. In other words, talking to the Lord. The worship leader must always uphold humility before the Lord. Why? Because Christ when pride sets in, pride does come secretly. Pride never comes as a huge black elephant standing by your door asking you, where shall I sit today? 
No. Pride comes in secretly. You're worshipping the Lord. Worshipping the Lord. He has gifted you. And then you're being celebrated sometimes by the congregation. And then when pride creeps in, you may not even know. But the next thing you realize, they fall. And that's why humility is absolute key. And that's why I said, you must have the capacity to live the words you worship as a worship leader. In other words, must be born again. The worship leader must give oneself, must give themselves to the service of God. So therefore, it's a sacrifice after Christ. You cannot go to worship because there are some things you are going to ask, you want to get from the Lord. You go and worship him just for who he is, Jehovah Yahweh. But when you look at today's worship, the worship leaders have gone to pick certain physical earthly benefits. I am a worship leader because I'm paid this. I am, and the same applies to keyboardists, violinists, everybody that stands before the Lord. I am a worship leader. In some churches, they, in, in Europe, for example, in the Africa, whatever, they even pay you. There are people who are paid, who go from church to church. Let's pay you something to come lead worship here. So they, they, they go to worship, to lead worship as a salary, as a way of earning a living on the earth. He says, no. That wasn't the original intent. Because being called and elected into the office of a worship leader, he says, it is the giving of oneself to God's service. And it's not about what you will get or what you can get. Because you are choosing to follow the example of Christ. You are following Christ's example. And that catapults you to the second most important thing. To present, you must present your body as a living, acceptable sacrifice to God. Holy unto Him. The elect, the worship leader, the elect, I'm talking to you today. Presenting your bodies as living acceptable sacrifices unto God, even the way Christ himself presented himself, presented himself holy and righteous as a living sacrifice unto God the Father. The worship leader. He says, you must therefore be truly born again, proper. And presenting yourself as totally available to God's service. In other words, the statement by Isaiah is you are saying, here I am, send me. Total offer. Here am I, send me. The book of Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 says, Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters to be the mercies of God, to present your bodies dedicated and dedicating all of yourselves, set apart 
as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not conform, do not be conformed to this world any longer with the superficial values and customs, but be transformed by pro and, and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the reviewing and the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. How awesome! You the elect, the worship leader, serving in the election of God at this hour in the church, in this dispensation. Look now. He says, never conforming whatsoever, but if you take that as a barometric test and run it, run it across the church globally, then you find a problem. In their worship practice today, the worship leaders have even tended to conform more to the world, the showbiz of the world, showbiz. It says, you must attach your songs to the teachings that are ongoing in the church. Let's say the pastor is teaching about righteousness. Let's say he's teaching about forgiveness. You must make sure in your choice of selection of songs that you'll use to lead the entire congregation in worshiping God. You must choose songs that sometimes must tie closely to what the pastor is teaching. Forgiveness. For example, mercy, for example, righteousness, for example, holiness all the time. Those must be the irreducible in your worship song. But can never conform to the world. You must love the congregations you are leading, blessed people. Sometimes it's very healthy to pick up a scripture and read it within the worship song. Or before the worship song. And read the scripture to bring context to your worship. That now when you worship and you lead them, they are now worshiping, going with you, joining you in worshiping God, but with scriptural context. Greater understanding. Then you deliver deliverance itself to their hearts. You transmit deliverance to them. The worship leader. You must encourage people to worshiping the Lord with you. So bring to them songs they can worship with, worship along. That they participate instead of spectating. You the elect, the worship leader. Your body language too. Your holy dressing as you are there at the altar must be able to transmit righteousness, sincerity, and holiness, and trueness, truth, that you are living those words. You mean those words you are singing. And they tag along. You the elect. 
leader. He says that when you worship the Lord, it must not be about you. It cannot. To be about you, to show off your skills and your talent, it cannot. And that is where this generation of church has gone wrong. Because the worship leaders today is about them and the great fall, of course. It's not the place and the time for showing off your talent, your skill. In any case, all that is by design given by the Lord to worship Him. Body language. It's a very high calling then. The worship leader. He says, you are being called at such a challenging time. And you are being told to avoid the imitation of the showbiz industry, the world. The Lord is speaking to the worship leader. How do you prepare to lead the church? I would like to walk through this very important segment now. As we prepare to sum it up. The Isaiah chapter 6 that I read. And we see that Isaiah appears before the Lord. The very act that the worship leaders are engaged in. Appearing before the Lord of hosts. worship the Lord appearing before the Lord worship the Lord how awesome a calling blessed people appearing before Yahweh So Isaiah appears before the Lord and the first thing that strikes Isaiah is the sinfulness of sin in light of the dreadful holiness of God. The first thing that strikes the prophet Isaiah is how sinful sin is. And how sinful man is in the face of God's awesome, dreadful, unfathomable holiness, glorious holiness. I want to walk through this stepwise as we begin to slowly wind down on this very important aspect of worship. Worshiping the Lord. And the responsibility entails worshipping Yahweh. Blessed people. I'm reading again the book of Isaiah chapter 6. To bring it back to context. Isaiah chapter 6. Beginning verse 1. I will extend it a little bit on this segment. 
all the way to verse 9. Isaiah 6. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 6, blessed people. Verses 1. All the way to verse 9. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1, all the way to 9. And this is what the Bible says. It says, the commissioning of Isaiah. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I'm now reading NIV. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with the two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying, And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And I say that call out, that calling out on Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty, became the standard of approaching Him. That is the announcement from the throne about they that approach Him. And that became the most important benchmark. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, nobody can approach. Nobody will see the Lord. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In my eyes I've seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. Remember where the fire comes from is the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Verse 8, blessed people. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Verse 9, and he said, Go and tell these people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So in the context within, within which I read the scripture, I want you, the worship leader, to look at yourself and see the mirror image of Isaiah in this position, where you are now afflicted, you are now being afflicted with this 
of God. And you are in this position now, where now you have been elected. The Lord is doing this unto you, even as he did to Isaiah, and sending you to a generation at a time such as this, when so much is happening on the earth. Even in the house of the Lord, apostasy, even where I read about Matthew 24, the great tribulation is coming. There's so much need for solution, need for answer. Things have gone haywire in the generation. So Isaiah told, and he's called within the vision. So the Lord presents to him the vision just like he that speaks with you. You must be a visionary to serve this God, Jehovah Yahweh. There is no way you can serve Yahweh without the vision. And that's why you see the pulpit. The pulpit has fallen because you have a bunch of people there serving without the vision of God. Even Paul, when Paul was persecuting Christians, he took the vision of God and made it and ingrained on him. When the Messiah met him like this, then his life turned around and now he began to move on. And then at one point, he used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Always must begin with the vision of the Lord. That's why you see the church in this generation has collapsed, has run into dysfunction. Deception is ringing high, raining high, because they are serving without the vision. And I want you, the worship leader, the pastor, whoever it is tuned in, to be able to see yourself in this context. For those in this ministry, you know the vision we behold, the vision of the coming of the Messiah. And the mission thereof, from the vision comes the mission. The mission then became preparing the way for the glorious coming of the Messiah. Preparing the church. That the church may be holy. That became the mission emanating from the vision. And you see, that the vision then became within the church, preparing the church. And to the world, the mission became revealing Christ to a lost generation. You all know these two well-blessed people. Revealing Christ to a lost generation. And then, you can sum it up. It's very easy to sum up this generation in the calling of he that speaks with you. These two prophets of Yahweh and all those that serve within this. This mighty calling. This mighty vision of the Lord. Mighty ministry. Then in other words, it became the preparing of a people to meet their God. That is essentially what we are doing. We are going around, all over the earth, on radio, preparing people.
preparing our people to meet their God. The stairs have been lowered. Let me expound a little bit on this, on how to prepare a people to meet the Lord, their God. Preparing a people to meet God. Hallelujah. The worship leader, the pastor. Preparing a people to meet the Lord. Turn with me the book of Amos chapter 4, that will really help me here. For you to understand the mission here. Even when the Lord calls you as a pastor, as a worship leader, within this ministry here, at this hour, the circumstances under which he's calling you, and the mission, and the duty, you are duty bound to execute a mission, a mandate. The book of Amos chapter 4, Amos chapter 4, I'm reading 4 to 13, verse 4 to 13, he says, Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years, Burn living bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town and yet you have not yet returned to me declares the Lord I also withheld rain from you when harvest was still three months away meaning the grain filling season when the grain should have been filling the rich grain that will bring energy, food to them, then he cut off the rain, the most critical time, three months away. I sent rain on one town and withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. The people staggered from town to town for water but did not get enough to drink. And yet, you have not yet returned to me, declares the Sovereign Lord. Many times, verse 9, he says, many times, I struck your gardens with, and vineyards and destroyed them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your feet and olive trees. And yet you have not yet returned to me, declares the sovereign Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did in Egypt, 
I killed your young men with a sword. Along with your captured horses, I filled your nostrils with the stench of your calm. Yet you have not yet returned to me, declares the sovereign Lord Yahweh. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You are like a burning stick snatched from the fire and yet you have not yet returned to me, declares the sovereign Lord. Verse 12, Amos chapter 4. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. And remember, at this hour, we are preparing our people to meet their God. And he says, verse 13, He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and trees the heights of the earth, the Lord Almighty is his name. Look at that blessed people. Look at the current situation on the earth, but look at the calling of Amos. When the Lord is calling Amos the prophet, and I want you to look at yourself in this context, the pastor, the worship leader, that Amos was being called at such a time when there was perversion. Jeroboam had already moved. He had split out the kingdom of Israel and he had moved worship out to Bethel. Away from Jerusalem. And set up high places there. And there was so much apostasy. There was so much decay and worship had been defiled. It was essentially a heedless generation. They listened not to the Lord. Whatever the reality, whatever the realization the Lord brought to them, and yet they still did not return to the Lord. Doesn't that seem to you the kind of generation within which the Lord has called these two prophets and called you the worship leader? Doesn't that sound to you more like the generation to which you have been called also? A heedless generation. A generation that does not listen to God. A heedless generation does not listen to the Lord. A generation that has no fear of the Lord. 
King Amos. And I can sound these blessed people that I may be able to bring to you the gravity of your calling as a worship leader at this time. The gravity of your calling as a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher of the word at this time. Amos chapter 7. Just bear with me, blessed people, that you may understand the gravity of standing before the Lord at this hour, in this dispensation, to minister to the Lord, to lead people unto the Lord, and the challenges there are. Amos chapter 7, verse 15. You can read on when you get time, but verse 15 for now. Verse 14 he says, Amos answered Amazir. I was named a prophet, not the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sacramental fig trees. Verse 15 is all I need here. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Look at that now. Calling Amos. The Lord was calling Amos at such a time as this. When there was a breakdown in the worship system, there was an apostasy, a split and a fall away. Another worship had been set up in Bethel, and the Lord was asking Amos to go now and confront it, confront the apostasy. Doesn't that sound like the dispensation within which the Lord has called these two talking to you? Has called you the pastor listening to me at this hour? Has called you the worship leader to stand? And worship Yahweh. And draw people to worshiping Yahweh. At such a difficult time. Heedlessness. Apostasy. And he says. At that time. The Lord was saying. Go prepare them. As we've read Amos chapter 4. Verses 4 to 13. And then he says. In 13, down there 12 on, he says, to prepare them, he says, because you've not listened, now prepare to meet your God. Does it not sound like this generation? Being prepared to meet their God, and yet they have not returned to the Lord. In other words, judgment is coming. The judgment of this world is coming upon this world. Judgment against sin. Judgment on the sin of this world is coming. Even as they have not come back. In other words, calling for repentance. That is what Amos was calling for. But is that similar with the calling at this hour? You the pastors who are going to stand before the church tomorrow? That you are essentially preparing a hideous generation. 
An obstinate generation, a generation that has not listened to God, they don't return. They simply don't return. You bring the Andes mountains down, you shake them violently, they have not yet returned. You shake the Buddhist and Hindu mountains, Mount Everest, and yet they have not yet returned. You strike the Caribbean with the storm, with Irma, Hurricane Maria, all of them together plus Florida, and yet they have not yet returned. You strike the earth with Ebola, they have not yet returned. You go down to Chile and strike them with 8.8, and yet they have not yet returned. You strike Haiti, they have not returned. People getting up walking, they have not yet returned. What a generation. And yet when you walk into the house, you find that they are busy calling upon the name of the Lord like it was during the time of Amos. They are calling upon the name of the Lord. But when you look at their lifestyle, did not tally, did not measure, did not add up. Does not add up. Doesn't that look to you like the generation you are confronted with you pastors going to preach tomorrow. You worship leaders going to lead congregations in worshiping Yahweh. Their worldliness, their apostasy betrayed them in that day, the day of Amos, the time of Amos. So they called upon the name of the Lord. But when you look at their lifestyle, their worldliness, their fleshiness, you look at how they live their lives, it really betrayed them big. Isn't that what you are seeing with the present church? They gather in the United States, they gather in Nairobi, they gather in Kakamega Nakuru, they gather in Helsinki, they gather Sweden all over the world, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, Nigeria, South Africa. They gather everywhere, Caribbean, Canada, South America, Brazil, where, everywhere, Central America, Ireland. And they call upon the name of the Lord. But when you look at their lifestyle, it betrays them. It brings them down. It contradicts them. Amos chapter 4 verse 1 he says, Hear this word. You cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. And say to your husbands, bring us more drinks. Bring us some drinks. 
at that time, when the Lord was calling Amos to these people, this was the state of the affair. They were longing for the things of the world. They were in pursuit for the world. Bring us more drinks for the wealth of the world, for the prosperity of the world. Doesn't that sound to you like this generation? The worldliness, and therein you see, he says, they, 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 they oppress the poor and crush the needy. And tell their husband, bring us more drinks. Meaning, there is no regard for the poor. There is no consideration for the weak of society, the vulnerable. Doesn't that sound to you like this generation? You the elect. Aren't you also being called at such a time as that, as this, as that, and as this? They loved wealth. They had no place for the widows and the orphans. They had no time for them. Isn't that what you see today? It's amazing, blessed people. So the Israelites now, now Jeroboam, he decided to move out of Jerusalem and establish worship, a worship in Bethel. But that worship, if you look at the garments they wore, that worship in their lifestyle exuded dirt and filth before the Lord. Apostasy. Disconnectedness from God. From the true worship of God. Isn't that what you see today in this present generation? They have separated the Jerusalem worship and they are now having another worship. They never uphold the cross. They don't embrace the blood. They said, no, the blood and the cross are too outdated. We want a modern gospel. They don't want to sing the songs of the cross and the blood. They said, those are outdated. Sing for us, design for us new songs that are modern, that are in tune with this generation. They don't like the songs of the old, dirty, rugged cross, tainted with the blood of Jesus. Doesn't that sound to you more like the generation to which Amos was being called? Apostasy was high at the time of Amos. How about now? The false prophets, they are broadcast on Global TV openly. Openly, no fear, no blushing. And yet Amos was calling upon this generation. That as you go to sacrifice in Bethel, another worship now. Every moment, every other day, every time, they were on their journey to go and meet their God, to meet God. They were headed to Bethel. And here comes Amos, sent to them, to tell them now. Amos said to them, can you stop for a moment? And first prepare yourselves to go meet your God. How come you can't see that in that form you will not? 
You cannot meet the true living God, the God of Israel, in that fallen form. No, you cannot. Now then, that sound to you like this generation. Tomorrow the churches will be full. Already Australia is on. Asia is already worshipping. It's already morning there. And as they worship, they are now preparing to meet their God on a daily basis, heading to Bethel. And then the Lord is sending these two prophets, saying, please stop for a moment. Can't you stop for a moment and prepare yourself to go meet your God, the true God of Israel. How come you can't see that preparedness is central? And this is the time, such are the times in which the Lord is calling you the pastor. When the generation and the church, the house of the Lord, has disconnected from the truth of God, they are transacting deception. A postal is high. And they are not willing to listen. It's a tremendous calamity and tragedy. They are familiar with God. We know so well that Amos was raised in the lower class. In the southern kingdom, Judah, that side. And yet God was sending him to the northern kingdom, where there was class and all this. So you can imagine the conflict, the resolve to be able to reprove, rebuke. Isn't that the generation we are in? And the Lord is saying, it's not any different from your calling. He's calling you at such a time when there is a similar fall. A tremendous fall in the house. Whether by tsunami or by the release of the pale horsemen, the prophecy of the bloodshed I talked about come in the Arab world. Coming to Mexico through the drug gang. When I was there warning Mexico, Puebla, Apisaco, Tlaxcala, Oaxaca, Puerto Escondido, Acapulco, warning that nation. Until the bloodshed came. Warning the bloodshed coming to Egypt, Tahrir Square. Coming to Syria, coming to Iraq. And yet, you have not yet returned to the Lord. Isn't that, doesn't it seem like that is the same time, same kind of dispensation within which the Lord is calling you. You the elect lady, the elect man, the worshiper, the pastor. And he's saying, Hosea chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, he says, Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes, and I will her in, so that she cannot find her way. 
she will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband at the first. For then I was better off than now. Doesn't that seem like the present generation? When the Lord was calling Hosea, it's almost similar again to when he was calling Amos. A generation in spiritual promiscuity, spiritual prostitution, doesn't that seem to you similar, same as this time also, when God is calling you, when God ascends this to when spiritual promiscuity is at the highest. And the Lord is saying, I'll raise a lot of cripples, I'll raise the blind, that I may block her way from going into promiscuity, pursuing her lover, that she may get my attention. I'll command the cripples to walk from 87 stadiums, that I may block her ways, her path, that she may not continue pursuing her lovers of promiscuity and prostitution. I'll bring the hurricane Irma and block her in that she may get my attention. And I may also get her attention. Doesn't that seem to you this generation? Preparing to go meet your God. Preparing a people to go meet Jehovah their God. Preparing a people unto the Lord. In Revelation 19, 6-9, he exhorts the finest linen, bright and clean, that you ought to prepare in your congregations as a worship leader. You the elect. As a pastor, you the elect. The finest linen, bright and clean, your mandate, your mission, your duty, preparing a people to meet the Lord, preparing a generation to meet their God, preparing them to meet Yahweh, preparing the nation to meet Jehovah. Preparing you to meet the Lord. May the Lord bless you. The Messiah coming. Tada shalom. Tada rabah. Tada tada.